What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming at y'all with our week three instant reactions. And, man, anyone who came into the week saying that this week wasn't going to deliver, that there wasn't any good games, they were proven wrong. And that's why you probably shouldn't pay attention to those type of people when, you, when, when you're a college football fan. Man, it was an outstanding week, some great games. Guys, get right into it. We're going to start Happy Valley Penn State holds on against number 22 Auburn for the 28-20 win, and the wideout delivered, man. It was an outstanding environment, an outstanding game, and Penn State makes another statement win this Saturday night as they notch their second top 25 win of the season as we're only through week three. And the Tigers dropped their first game under Brian Harson. They got some things they have to fix. And they're left really wondering what could have been for this game. And I want to start with Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford had an outstanding performance and proved a lot of people wrong because the narrative for like two or three seasons now has been what could Penn State be with a real quarterback? Penn State's one, you know, a quarterback away from winning the Big Ten, being a playoff team. Well, what did he do? 28 for 32, almost 90% completion percentage, 280, two touchdowns, and almost a 90 QBR against an SEC defense in primetime. All the pressure on him to lead this offense with, with a lack of a run game, and he stepped up in the biggest moment. He showed that even when the run game isn't behind him, he can carry this offense and find a way to win, find a way to stay composed in the pocket, stay, you know, find a way to find his playmakers on the outside. He did that. I want to give I want to give Sean Clifford all the praise and adulation here because he deserves it. He was the he was arguably the MVP of this game, and he found a way to beat a very talented top twenty five Auburn team. And Sean Clifford delivered in a huge way and. What did I tell y'all? X Factor, I, the preview. I picked Penn State for this game. I had them 27-23, so, you know, somewhat a relatively close score. Jahan Dotson was the X Factor, and he was all over the field tonight, and he is really solidifying himself as one of the better wide receivers in the Big Ten and maybe the country. Ten catches, 78 yards, a huge touchdown catch to, you know, give the Nittany Lions the lead. I believe it was in the second quarter. He is he is so versatile in how he can beat you. He has the speed to be that deep threat where he can get up behind your defense and you can't stop him. But he also has shown the ability to be a great intermediate short route guy where he his route running is pristine and he can find himself open. He, every single time Sean Clifford backed up, you know, you know, took it took his uh, drop back. He had a chance to hit Jahan Dotson, and he did it. And that was the key to the game. He was really the X factor. I thought he was going to be, and I told y'all, y'all can go back and look. The key to the game was to attack the Auburn secondary from the short to the intermediate mid-range passes, which is that's exactly what the Nittany Lions took advantage of. Auburn shows a very lack they they lack discipline in their coverage. Where if if it's not a quick pass or their defensive line can't get to the quarterback, they, they can't hang with wide receivers. There were multiple covers breaks where their safety smoke Monday was just standing flat-footed. He missed two or three huge, huge coverage breaks. One led Penn State into the red zone. Then the next play, he was the one that lost Jahan Dotson in zone coverage, and he ran up to the line of scrimmage when he was supposed to be covering the back of the end zone. 
terrible, terrible secondary play for the from the safety spot for Auburn tonight. Roger Mercury played great on the outside, but Penn State attacked the weakness of this Auburn defense. They really weren't getting a lot of pressure on Clifford. I believe they only had one sack. And because of that, Clifford was able to absolutely pick them apart, and Auburn had zero answer for this passing game. And speaking of Auburn, they had multiple chances to win this game. They failed to take advantage of them. It included a crucial turnover on a trick play fumble where Kobe Hutton needed out of his own hands, and it led to a two-score Penn State lead and they never lost that lead again. Now, I do want to say Bo Nix played better than I expected, especially compared to his previous road woes, but he still missed crucial crucial throws all night, and he failed to deliver on the deep ball. He completed 56% of his passes, only 185 yards, has no turnovers and uh, no touchdowns, but he only averaged five yards attempt. He was not able to push the ball down the field, and five yards per attempt and under 60% completion percentage is not going to get you a road win against a top-10 team. He's still got to play better, but it was promising that you know he avoided the turnovers and seemed to stay relatively poised in this game. And I want to give Nick some credit here. On third downs, that was his. That was the moment for him to shine. Eight for eleven for a hundred yards on third downs for Bo Nix, and he got six first downs on those. So that was an amazing job by Nix on third down. But I still need him to be more consistent. I need I need him to pack that deep ball. He could throw the deep ball in Jordan Hare. It just never makes it out of Jordan Hare for some reason. So that's the key. But I want to say, Bigsby and Jarquez, Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter are the reason Auburn was in this game. They they have proven Auburn could run the ball on any team in the country if things get rolling. Bigsby, 100, 102 yards, two touchdowns. Hunter averaged over seven yards per carry for 63 yards. And that's all great. And we and Tate Bigsby was going to be a focal point of this game plan, and he was. It just wasn't enough this week. But I do want to say this. This is the last thing I want to mention before I move on. The play call on fourth and two. So Auburn finds themselves on like fourth and goal, you know, which was really a fourth and two from the two. You know, game on the line. You have to score here pretty much the game's over. And what did they do? And what they did should haunt every single Auburn fan in the entire country. And Mike Bobo has to answer some questions on this one. You have the best running back in the country who already has two touchdowns and his backups averaging over seven yards per carry and you throw a fade route. Not only a fade route, you throw the fade route to the short side of the field with two DBs in the area, and Nick's completely botches the throw. It wasn't even close. You, you can live, guys. I, and you know, I, I understand. I understand he was trying to be creative, but you can live with yourself as an offensive coordinator and/or a team to know that that we gave it to our best player in Tank Bigsby and they found a way to stop it. That's fine. But you go for a low a low percentage throw with a quarterback who has not thrown a touchdown pass, who has completed under 55% of his passes, and you give it to him to end the night. There is no reason that ball shouldn't have been to Jarquez Hunter and really and truly Tank Bigsby's hands. Tank Bigsby, should they should have done whatever they needed to to get Tank Bigsby the ball on the two-yard line. And if you're Auburn, you have to believe in yourself that if you can't get two yards of Tank Bigsby to win the game or or tie the game, I'll bet, tie the game with the two-point conversion after that, 
then I, I don't I don't I don't think you had any confidence in your offensive line. The play call that play call was a tr- was just atrocious. And it cost off from the game. So I just wanted to say that. But guys, Penn State moves to three and zero. They got Villanova coming to Happy Valley next week. Should be a pretty significant game for them. Auburn heads back to Georgia State. It must be a relatively good matchup coming up there. But guys, we have to get down to Gainesville now, in which which was just an absolutely outrageous game. One that I don't think anyone saw coming. The Crimson Tide survived their their trip down to the swamp, but things got extremely interesting down the stretch. The Gators found their rushing attack and made a remarkable second half comeback. 31-29 Alabama win over the number 11 Florida Gators. And if it wasn't for a missed extra point in the first half, the Gators probably would have tied that game up at the end and that game could have been going to overtime instead of the Crimson Tide escaping with a two-point win. I'll start with Alabama. Another outstanding performance for, for Bryce Young. Listen, was he perfect? Not even in the slightest. But he got the job done and showed why he is the, he is the guy for Alabama. He's completed over 60% of his passes, 243 touchdowns, zero turnovers, and he did that in one of the most intimidating environments in college football in his first road start and he looked great against a solid defense, and he looks ready for the moment. He never looked overwhelmed, and he he's just composed and found a way to complete passes to eight different players on this Crimson Tide offense. So Bryce Young did his thing, and it's clear who the top two wide receivers are. Jamison Williams, John Mechie III, is one of the best wide receiver duos in the country and are a matchup nightmare. They, they combined for over 110 yards and 10 catches for them. And Jace McClellan was also a running back that found a lot of success in the, in the passing game, had a receiving touchdown. But I want to see him become a more consistent rushing threat because that's, that's really what made this game interesting for the Crips and Todd is that the, run, the rushing game was so inconsistent, especially in the second half, and it was held in check almost all day. 91 yards for the day. The Crimson Tide only averaged three yards per carry. And out of all the NFL losses that they had last year, I think this offense might be missing Najee Harris more than anybody else from last year because the running game has not been very effective. And, you know, the Gators have to be given their flowers for their performance today. Mullen continue, he continues to show that in the biggest games, they're not going to be rattled, and they can respond to adversity, and they're always going to play extremely hard for him. And it starts with, listen, in the preview, I didn't think they were going to be able to run the ball a lick, not even just in the slightest. And you saw that they had an outstanding rushing attack today, and I did not see it coming. Four guys you know, really had a huge impact on this game, but it all started with Malik Davis, 86 yards and a touchdown, but he was averaging over nine yards per carry. And then you look at Emory Jones and Naquan Wright, both both performed outstanding, and it gave the Gators a bunch of flexibility in how they were able to attack this Crimson Tide defense. You know, you look at Wright with with 58 yards rushing, averaging over seven yards per carry. You know, you look at Pierce with two rushing touchdowns, and Jones had 77 yards rushing and a touchdown. This running game in the second half really opened up the offense, and it really 
you know, put a lot of pressure on this Alabama defense, and it made it it was the key for the Gators making this game much closer than it would have been after what looked like a first half domination by the Crimson Tide. Now, em- Emory Jones had a lot of criticism coming into this game, including for me, but he showed that he has the ability to find a uh, find a way to keep them in the game and perform decently. In big games, I mean, 195, 77 yards rushing and a touchdown. Listen, he's never going to be an elite passer, but he's a playmaker, and he can really put the defenses in a bad position if he gets his offense rolling. The one thing I always have to say is the turnovers really hurt on the interception, put the Gators in a bad position. But between him and Anthony Richardson and these stable of running backs who are starting to get better and better every week, Florida is going to compete in the SEC East, and they're exceeding my expectations already for what I had. And it just seemed like it's going to take Dan Mullen just a few weeks to get it rolling. But that game in Jacksonville just got a whole lot more interesting after watching Florida play this weekend. Now, Bama moves to 3-0. Southern Miss gets the unfortunate draw of having Nick Saban pissed off about you know, defensive mental mistakes. I'm sure, you know, Southern Miss is going to get a, a beating down there in Bryant-Denny. But Florida looks to get their first SEC win of the season next week as Tennessee rolls into town. But let's move to another important game. This one kicked off at 11. We had the number eight Cincinnati Bearcats traveling to Indiana in a huge game for the Bearcats. And this game probably meant the world for them because the entire country was waiting for them to fail. They were down 14 nothing early and found a way to come all the way back and win this game by 14, 38 to 24 Cincinnati. And this game had to be won or the Bearcats had zero chance of a college football playoff burst. I mean, birth, but the fact that they outscored the Hoosiers 28 to 10 in the second half was absolutely impressive to me. And it was a real statement that this team, faced with some adversity, is able to respond in such a strong way. They started out extremely slow. It was a record crowd for a non-conference game in Bloomington, and this offense stalled early, two early turnovers, 14 nothing. But in the second half, Desmond Ritter, this offense, special teams with a 99-yard kick return, came alive. And Ritter showed why he's one of the most experienced, seasoned, and talented quarterbacks in the country. 210 through the air, 45 on the ground, two total touchdowns today. And he found way, he found ways to make plays in and out of the pocket and led this offense to just scoring drop after scoring drop and showed that he can be the leader of this team as the running game at times was very inconsistent. Now, Jerome Ford at running back, Alabama transferred, had had two touchdowns, but he struggled with consistency, and that's something to watch moving forward because he needs to be more dynamic against some of the better defenses they're going to face coming up on their schedule, starting with Notre Dame in two weeks, which is going to be an absolute tough test for the Bearcats. Now, the defense showed why they're a key factor especially in this two-year run that they've had. They lived up to the height with three huge interceptions, forcing a key fumble late to really seal the game. And this defense showed that they're playmakers. They play fast. They play physical. They play aggressive and pretty disciplined for the most part. That Really, you know, you could contribute 14 points they give up today to bad field position because the offense put them in terrible spots with two early turnovers. So I think the potential is so great for this defense, led by Ahmad Gardner, who I think is probably a top two or three corner in the country. 
the loss of Marcus Freeman has not affected this defense yet. They're rolling, going into their bye week. So I think Cincinnati, in my opinion, made one of the bigger statements this weekend with their huge win against Indiana. Now, the Hoosiers, in my opinion, are probably one of the better one and two teams in the country, but they've made way too many mistakes in key games. Six interceptions against Iowa and Cincinnati. If you're going to be the top 10 team, you cannot throw three interceptions per game. You know, Pinnock showed promise in the first half, but down the stretch, he was too inaccurate, too inefficient. I mean, 40, you cannot complete 42% of your passes and expect to be the top 10 team. And, you know, three interceptions, like I mentioned, but he's just failed to find that 2020 magic, which was really the key to that team making a top 10 run last year. And it doesn't help that the run game was inconsistent, you know, Carr and Baldwin combined for 82 yards and less than three yards per carry. And when your quarterback is already inefficient and and not doing much and turning the ball over, it's just a recipe for disaster. And you saw what happened in the second half. It's, it's Cincinnati kind of ran away with this one late. Now, their defense was hurt by the targeting call on Micah McFadden as well. It just seemed to take all the energy out of the game, and the Hoosiers never recovered after that point. I mean, Cincinnati ran away with it after that one. The targeting rule's got to be changed ASAP, but I won't go down that tangent just yet. But Cincinnati enters their bye week now with a huge Power 5 win under their belt, and they got a matchup with Notre Dame coming up in South Bend, which is really, really going to determine how serious we're going to take Cincinnati for the college football playoff, while Indiana looks to rebound against Western Kentucky next weekend. So we got to also cover this. There were two There, there were two teams. I mean, we had number three, Oklahoma, and number six, Clemson, really escape and struggle wins today. And so we'll start with Clemson because so much has changed since that 73 to 7 domination of Georgia Tech last year. Georgia Tech gave Clemson everything it could take and more and was one yard away from taking the Tigers to to overtime potentially and this game the what I want to focus on Georgia Tech played great. We have to we we have to talk about this Clemson offense about being disorganized you know, lacking any sort of execution and all the questions surrounding it. Everyone's just kind of chalked up their week one performance to the offense, you know, what the offense just faced a good defense to Georgia. That's not the case anymore. Georgia Tech is not great. They played an FCS team in South Carolina State week two. The run game's atrocious. DJ still looks uncomfortable. The only wide receiver who can go make his own play is is, is Ross. And they just lack energy. There was no energy, no folk. It just, they seem to be completely out of whack all game. And this is the second straight FBS game that the Tigers have been atrocious on the offensive side of the ball. Their longest play today, guys, against Georgia Tech was 17 yards on a dump down pass to the running back in pace. That, that, this Georgia Tech defense is not supposed to be able to hold you to that. And, the concerns are real for the Tigers. Tony Elliott has to find a way to solve these offensive issues before the bulk of that schedule runs around. This is the second straight time this is, or the second straight FBS game this has happened. Eventually, we're going to have to stop making excuses for Clemson and wonder how big of a lot, you know, can we put some respect on how good Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne was? Because those losses are looking bigger and bigger, and it's really going to come down this year 
how far can the defense carry Clemson or how long is it going to take for that offense to click in? So they have some games coming up on their schedule where if the offense plays like this, they're going to get upset. So right now I have, you know, I don't, I'm not hitting the panic button, but I'm getting the panic button out of my drawer because this is not the Clemson offense that we've become accustomed to seeing over the last five, six years. Now, the Sooners are in the same boat. They were projected to blow out the Cornhuskers. Scott Frost had other ideas as the Cornhuskers hung around for a 23-16 to Oklahoma win. Way closer than it ever should have been. And Oklahoma had some major question marks. This is the, this is the second time in their first three games. Same with Clemson, two FBS games. They only got single-digit wins over Tulane in Nebraska. You aren't winning a national championship if you're struggling with those teams. Ole Miss just put like almost 70 points today on Tulane. That, that can't happen, and listen, I get it. The offense can be efficient at times, but they failed to really establish drives, and the stats are padded by those boomer bust-type plays. They've become a, an explosive play or punt type team. They can't really put consistent drives together for 10, 15 plays. And that that type of that, that's not going to win you a national championship. And this is the most damning stat of all today. Nebraska averaged more yards per play than Oklahoma did. That is an indictment on both sides of the ball for Oklahoma. And the the, the positive part for Oklahoma is the pass rush is real. They can get to the quarterback almost every play. But if they don't get the sack, the defense struggles to slow down opposing teams, and Adrian Martinez took advantage of that. Yes, the same Adrian Martinez that looked pedestrian against Illinois. He completed almost 80% of his passes for almost 300 yards and a touchdown. And you can argue, and if you go by QBR stats, he outplayed Spencer Rattler, which is a concerning development for the Sooners. My my, I guess my take on this is that the Sooners have to stop playing down to their competition. They're better than Nebraska and Tulane, but they aren't show, they're, they're not showing on the field. They're playing down to their opponent, and they're not getting up for these games. That's going to cost them. You saw it cost them twice against K-State these past two years. You've got to play consistent football regardless of who's on the field because you can be beat any given week. So I mentioned these two struggle wins because there are some real, real question marks and concerns for both Clemson and Oklahoma after both had major struggle wins against completely overmatched opponents in Georgia Tech and Nebraska. But let's get to my final takeaways, man. I always try to keep these episodes, you know, about 20 to 30 minutes at max. That way you guys, you know, don't, that way we don't have like an hour episode y'all got to listen to. But let's, my final takeaways, man. Covered all the big games. I did want to mention a few more. Uh, won't break them all the way down, but just wanted to you know give you all a score update. But number 13, UCLA, after all the momentum they've got, beating Hawaii, beating LSU, beating, beating USC, they get upset by Fresno State 40-37. to And it's time for you all to put some respect on Fresno State's, State's name. Almost upset Oregon, dominated their week zero matchup. Now they get a top 15 win against UCLA. 
you know, they had, I believe they returned every single starter from their team and had the most efficient offense in the Mountain West uh, in 2020, and they are just doing it again. They can put up points on 81. And UCLA, I think, got caught overlooking Fresno State. But, man, Chip Kelly, now all that work you did, all the praise you got everything, and you go out and lose to Fresno State, it's going to – the Pac-12 is going to get so interesting this year, especially with USC, you know, firing Clay Hilton, UCLA getting upset, Oregon being a top-five team in the country. This is going to be an outrageous Pac-12 race. But also, Virginia Tech, number 15 in the country, upset by West Virginia, 27-21. You know, Letty Brown played an outstanding game. Uh, Doji played an outstanding game. And, you know, I talked all about the pass rush for Virginia Tech. Shout-out to the West Virginia pass rush, man. They had, like, six sacks today. And Morgantown was absolutely amazing. That environment was outstanding. And West Virginia found a way to win. Huge goal line stop to end the game as well. So West Virginia and Neil Brown, man, make a huge statement. And they got some big games coming up. So do not sleep on West Virginia moving forward. Also, BYU, number 23 in the country, gets their third straight Pac-12 win over Arizona State, 27-17. Man, these guys are balling. BYU is a real factor here. I expect them to jump into the top 20. And the way they're playing, man, this team has a chance to you know, make another run in an undefeated season. They're playing efficient. They're playing fast, physical, and they just execute at such a high level. Shout out to BYU for getting another huge ranked win. It's their second straight ranked win of the season. So BYU is someone to watch out for down the stretch. And then finally, Manny Diaz couldn't be on a hotter seat. Miami, number 24 in the country, got exposed today by Michigan State, 38-17. to And everything that could go wrong for Miami went wrong, and they look absolutely atrocious on both sides of the ball. De'Aaron King's fighting off an injury, so it looks like things in Miami could get so much worse moving forward. So that's a development to watch out for. And now Michigan State, huge win over Northwestern, huge road win over Miami, Michigan State could be making some noise in the Big Ten, and a lot of people need to put some respect that the Big Ten might be deeper than most people expect. But, guys, it was an amazing week three. But, guys, for right now on the Blue Bloods, we are out.